Okay, nothing says awkward quite like having a whole trivia over and about your life. Thanks, Grant. And uh, thank you for taking Facebook stalking to a whole nother level um, there and everything. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of scrolling. Thank you. I mean, you know, there was uh, ample of stuff to make me nervous, I suppose, that he could have gone to. So <laughs> thanks for keeping it um, basic, uh, keeping it basic, yeah. So with, with Easter last week, we focus in on Jesus, right? I mean, appropriately so, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and, and, and all that, but this week, um, we're going to focus in on the apostles and the disciples surrounding all of that because um, they've got an important part of the story as well. And um, when you look at the disciples surrounding his death, burial, and resurrection, like nothing goes right with them, right? I mean, one of them betrays the guy he followed for three years, like with a kiss, like for 30 pieces of silver, it's a slave's price. He said, I'm going to... I'm going to signify this with a kiss, who he is with a kiss. and uh, I mean, you don't get any lower than that, right? But also, also what you've got going on in this story is that Jesus tells one of his other disciples, you're going to, be, you're going to deny me, right? Like before morning comes, before the, 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 the rooster alarm crows, you're going to deny me. My family is into flash right now. We're almost done with the third season of Flash, yay, Netflix, right? We're almost done with the third season of Flash. I'm not going to give any spoilers or anything like that, but those of you that, that are familiar with the, with the show and the season and, and, and stuff, you, you will know kind of where we're at. And, and Flash sees something in the future that he's trying to prevent. Like if I were Peter and my leader guy tells me you're going to deny me before the sun rises, like... I'm going to spend the next 12 hour, hours figuring that out how not to do that, right? Right? But Peter goes there. But it's not just some like, no, I don't know him. It's worse than that. He uses the strongest language possible to deny Jesus. He says, let me be damned to hell if I know that man. Like, oh, can you say that in church? Peter, the guy who was the rock of the church, who 50 days later preached a sermon that saw 3,000 people get saved at one time, those same lips said that about Jesus the night of his trial. Pastors today have said less on national TV and Christians have disavowed that man. This is the guy that started the whole thing. The human guy that started the whole thing we call the church. And then not only that, all of them ran. They fled. Not only that, they went and hid because they were afraid of their own lives. Jesus had to do like some Star Trek trick to go appear to them, right? They're in a locked house. And he appears out of nowhere because they were all hiding, afraid for their own lives. But, like I said, in 50 days, the man that denied Jesus 
is the one that preaches the sermon that kicked off the church. And then these 11 men are the 11 men who took the gospel to the known world at that time. All of it. Like, how do we get from denial and running and fear to rock star, disciple, apostle people? How do we get there? John 21. John 21. This sermon is about restoration. About restoration. And those of you that are here that are Christians and you maybe feel like you've disappointed Jesus at some point in time, okay, everybody raise their hand, right? Yeah, uh-huh. This is for you. If you're checking this Jesus thing out and you're not quite sure about Jesus and church and blah, 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 look, I'm glad you're here because the process is exactly the same for you as it is for those who know and love and believe in Jesus, but we just messed it up, right? Chances are this week we haven't told somebody, let me be damned to hell if I know Jesus, right? So we're starting at a higher point than Peter, right? So where do we go from here? John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of his disciples were together. That that should be eight disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When, When things get confusing with Jesus... Um, we really have a tendency to go back to what we knew. And that's what the disciples did. They go back to what they knew. They, they, they go back to fishing. Uh, uh, Peter and three of, of the disciples, uh, they were in a business together. They were fishermen before Jesus called them. In fact, they were fishing when Jesus called them to be disciples. They went back to what they knew. Fishing is not a sin. In fact, I mean, maybe we live in southwest Missouri. I Probably a lot of you uh, identify with Peter. If I get stressed, what do you do? I go fishing, right? I go fishing. Like, the story gets more redneck than this in a little bit, so just hold on. Uh, You might be able to really identify with Peter here in just a moment, but (laughs) Paul knows where I'm headed. Uh, So so, uh, they, they went back to what they knew. Maybe it's something like fishing. It's not a sin. It's not nothing. It's just neutral. It's just an activity, but they went back to what they knew. But maybe when things get confusing with Jesus, you go back to a sin that you knew or a person that you knew, or a group of people that you knew. That you promised, like, I'll never go there again, but there you are, right? We've all done it. We've all been there. I've been there. I believe here, too. I don't know, maybe I'm reading, you know, my own story into this, and this whole time of life, and, man, perhaps they're disconnecting as well. They're like, well, this Jesus thing is done, right? Like, what do we do now? Well, fishing, that's what we know. And I, myself, and I, you know, me, myself, and I, like, it's, I have a hard time attaching. Now, my wife may say, well, actually, that's not the case with me. You attach a little bit too much. That's a separate issue, but it's a separate sermon series. In fact, Song of Solomon series way back when. That might be, anyway. 
But with relationships, I have a really hard time attaching, and it's really easy for me to detach. And some of you may be like, like you just fell off the face of the earth, and I get that. Um, I was traveling two weeks in March anyway, and so it became a natural time to step back. And I didn't intend it that way, but at the same time, it's really, really easy for me to, to be detached. And really, even how I'm wired, it's difficult because um, I don't attach well in relationships. It's easy for me to be aloof and detached. And I can see that in the disciples here that they're just like, I don't know what to do with this Jesus thing. He was dead, now he's alive. He's showing up to us <laughs> um, magically in locked homes. Like, I don't know what to do with this. So I'm just going to go back to fishing, right? But what happens next? Just as they were, the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. What does Jesus do? I mean, he does what he always does. He shows up where they are. He shows up where they are. All throughout his ministry, he showed up where the people were. He showed up where the religious were. He showed up where the non-religious were. He showed up where everybody was and, and, and ministered to them right where they were. And Jesus does the same thing for you and I today. Wherever you're at, if you're detached from him, if you're running from him, if you're going back to what you knew before, Jesus is there at the shore in the, in the, in the first break of daylight where you can't even recognize him. He is there. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Ding, 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 ding. The bells went off in the disciples' head. They've seen this before. Luke chapter 5. Jesus called them to be his disciples right after he did the same exact thing. Hey, have you caught any fish? No. Hey, why don't you go back out to sea at the time that, 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 that nobody catches anything. Try it again. You're crazy, Jesus, but okay, I'll do it because you say. And a whole boatload of fish came in. He's done this before. And John says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know of as John, the one who wrote this gospel, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. This is where it gets more redneck. He didn't just go fishing when it got stressed. He went fishing naked when it got stressed. Like, I'm not looking for a show of hands now, okay? And in Paul last week, like, I'm not looking for testimony, okay? <laughs> Paul last week talked about Peter a little bit, right? Why he might have been second in line on the race to the tomb, why John might have, might have, you know, beat him to the tomb, like he might have been a little bit overweight and everything, like, you know, <clears throat> that's a mental image for you as well, but hey, Paul, if you want to win a race, run it alone, right? Peter ran to the shore alone, and he won that race, right? We don't know how long it took him to run in knee-high water, a hundred yards, and, you know, maybe even the, the chariots of fire music came out, right? You know, dun, 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 dun. Jesus was like, thank you for putting your robe on. But anyway, he ran to find Jesus. And then the rest of the disciples, the rest of the disciples, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full net of fish, for they were not far off from land, but about a hundred yards off. Like, 
they're now like, thank you, Peter, for helping us with this big old huge boatload catch of fish, but they can't say anything, right? Because Peter was running to Jesus. Like, what are they going to say? They're going to open their mouths and go, thank you for helping. And Peter's like, I, I, I ran to Jesus. Like, what are you going to say to this? Like, really? So now they're there with Jesus. What happens? When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Jesus helped them catch a boatload of fish, 153 to be exact, uh, we find out later. But when they get to shore, Jesus had breakfast already ready. He had the fish, he had the bread, it was all ready. This is huge. There's nothing in this time period, it's true still today, but man, so much so in this time period, there was nothing that said we're good relationally like having a meal together. If somebody invites you to have a meal with them, you are saying we are good. We're good relationally. And so while Jesus never specifically says you're restored or I have restored you or don't worry about it or, or I forgive you, he doesn't specifically say any of those words. It's a typical guy scenario, right? Jesus a guy, eight disciples, all guys. Like, words, not important. Right? Jesus is saying through his actions, hey, we're good. In fact, in fact, probably, I, I, just th- I just think that when Peter ran to shore, you know, he gave, he gave Jesus a, a, a bro hug because we can't get too close. And, how, you know, James and I, I mean, we, we share that. Boom, clasp hands. One, two, pat on the back, and then release. Right? Bro hug. I think Peter and Jesus probably did that. Like, boom, boom, boom. We're good, right? And then probably when the rest of the disciples got to shore, maybe, maybe Jesus gave them a, you know, a little flash of the deuces, like, we're good, you know, all, all's good, all's good right now, and, and, and everything, come, come eat. Come eat. Now, if this was Jesus, Jesus at and, you know, the, the eight female disciples, there'd be weeping, there'd be stories, there'd be confession, there'd be all that, right, ladies? Right? Like, you couldn't, this wouldn't work for you. Paul and I, all we'd have to do is go to lunch. We're good. This wouldn't work for you. But this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I know you ran. I know you're fearful. I know you denied me. But we're good. We're restored. And I have brought everything to the table needed to restore you. The fish, the bread. I don't need any of your fish to provide this breakfast, to provide this restorative breakfast. I have brought everything to the table needed to restore you. And this is what Easter is all about. I have brought everything to the table to restore you to God. No matter where you're at, if you've run back to what you knew before, if you're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing, no matter where you're at, Jesus has brought everything needed to the table to restore you to Him and to the Father. All you have to do is come to the shore. Run to the shore, bring your boat to the shore, bring your fish to the shore. All you've got to do is come to the shore where Jesus is. That's repentance. Come to the shore. The story continues. 
Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Even though Jesus brings everything to the table we need to be restored, He doesn't ignore what we have brought to the table. He doesn't ignore the fish that, that, the, 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 that the disciples caught. He says, bring them up here. I, I think this is important for this. See, even though they caught the fish, we know that Jesus gave them the ability to catch the fish. Like this was a miraculous catch, right? And so whatever we bring to the table of restoration with Jesus, we bring it because Jesus has given it to us. We're not talking about sin. We're not talking about what we've left behind. But the person of who we are, who God created us to be, the talent and the skills and the gifts that Jesus has given to us, all the resources that Jesus has given to us that we bring to the table, He is going to use. We'll get to that in a minute. He is going to use. But He calls us, bring those to the table still because I have given those to you. You think you're awesome, bro? No. Jesus gave you everything that you think you're awesome about. And He calls you to bring that to the table. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him another guy thing to do, right? None of the, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, right? Guys don't ask questions, right? I come home, I tell Nicole, hey, I met this guy today, blah, 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 blah. We talked for a little while. She was like, does he have kids? I don't know. Oh, you know, I, he mentioned a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the kid's name? I don't know. What's the next question? Does he have a wife? I don't know. Probably so. He has a kid, but who knows? You know, whatever. What does he do? What is, where does he work? I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, can I get a witness to this morning? Yeah, right? You know? So it's a typical guy thing to do. None of the disciples dare to ask Jesus, who are you? They know. Like, I'm not going to ask him. We're, we're good. We don't need questions. Nothing spiritual in that. We'll just keep going. This is, was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. He's had this restorative dinner with his disciples, but what about Peter? I mean, Peter went to a special level of low, right? Like denying Jesus, and especially the intensity in which he denied Jesus. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We don't... There's different thoughts of what these are. Maybe it's the fish, maybe it's the other disciples or, or, or whatnot. I, I kind of think it's fish, even though it's something that Jesus told him to bring to the table. We'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. He said to, the, to him, um, or Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said 
to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, there's a lot made um, over, over, you know, kind of over the years about the two different words of love that, that Jesus and Peter uses and that, Peter, that Jesus was trying to get Peter to go to a, to a deeper level of love and Peter was kind of reluctant to go there and stuff. I, I don't think that's what's happening here. Actually, it's kind of opposite. Not that Jesus was trying to get Peter to go to a, d- deep, a deeper level of love. It's more that both loves are needed. Both loves are needed. So we have here agape love and phileo love, right? And we've always heard agape is the God's sacrificial love and phileo, that's a brotherly love, you know, Philadelphia, blah, blah, blah. I mean, by de- that's true, yes. However, it kind of runs deeper than that. Agape is more of a love uh, that comes from high esteem and admiration for somebody else. You love them because you keep them in high esteem and you keep them in high admiration. And then phileo is more of an emotional love. You love them with your emotions. So, for instance, the, the few of you that have daughters here, right? Guys, those of you that have daughters here, your wife sends you to, to, to the store for bread and, and, and milk, right? And the daughter wants to go along. So you're going you're gonna to say yes, right? You're going to say yes, it's father-daughter time. It's awesome, right? You go there, bread and milk. Bread and milk. Simple, right? Bread and milk. You get your bread, you get your milk. You're headed to the checkout line. What does daughter do? She's had this planned all along, right? What does daughter do? Look up to you with the eyes that only she can do and go, please, daddy. And then what happens? You walk out of there with a cart full of stuff, right? And then you get home, you bring the first load in, then you go out to the car three more times to bring it all in. By the time you get done, the wife's like, bread and eggs. What's going on? Bread and eggs, bread and eggs. How hard is that? And you're like, look at her face. Look at her face. Guys, anybody? Daughters? Yes? Look at her face. And then she's like, you've got to grow up gut. We'll just go with gut. That's phileo love. I do something for you. I love you because I emote for you. Agape love is what you'll do tomorrow morning or tonight or whenever you go to work. You get up, you go to work. Why? Because you sacrifice for your family. Why? Because it is a choice. You love them. And so therefore you go to work to earn a living, to make money, to provide that please stuff for her, right? (laughs) That's agape love. It's a choice. Both are vital in life, in relationship, and both are vital in our relationship with Jesus because we cannot go to a martyr's death like Peter went to without both of them. Sacrificial love, a choice love, and an emotive love. Sacrificial love for Jesus, sacrificial love, and and the choice love is saying, man, I'm not feeling it right now, but I am going to get up and go amongst his people and worship him. Or I am not feeling it right now, but I'm going to read because that is where life comes from because, because I'm going to read in God's word and life is going to come to me. Or I'm not feeling it right now, but I'm going to pray because that's where life comes from is connecting with God. And then emotive love is, is, is that, you know, uh, that worship song that just, gets you, that just gets you alive, right? That just hits you right here and, and you, just, you just, man, yes, you love Jesus. 
Both are necessary to live this life. And both are necessary to follow me. You notice the command to Peter wasn't love me? It's follow me. We prove, we show that we love Jesus by following him. That's the command. That's our job description as Christians. Follow me here and follow Jesus. That's it. That's it. Follow me. One more thing. One more thing. This is an important part of the story. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, the writer of the gospel, following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that the disciple was not going to die, yet Jesus did not Say to him that he was not going to die. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? See, so easy to compare our walks to somebody else, our follow me to somebody else, right? Jesus just told Peter essentially that you're going to die because you follow me. And then Peter, like probably any of us would do, go, well, what about him? Right? Am I going to die? What about that son of guy, person? What's he going to do? What's, what's going to happen to him? And, and, and Jesus essentially says, you follow me. He's going to follow me, and then you're going to follow me. Don't compare stories. Don't compare lives. Follow me. You know, down the road, when, when, when God blesses Crosspoint and see a, an amazing thing happen, it would be so easy for me to look back and go, God, what... What gives? If you look at my life and, and, and see something and, and go, God, what, what gives? It's so easy to compare my follow me and your follow me and, 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 and sometimes our follow me's cross paths and sometimes we get to celebrate our follow me's from a distance. And as we've talked about at different point in times, the sweet dance that we have with God. And the questions that come up, like, man, what's going on? And, and that sort of thing. And, and, and just going, oh, why them? And why me? And why not me? And God's just like, hold on. You follow me. You follow me. Celebrate their follow me. Help out when you're past cross and, 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 and encourage them when you're past cross, but you follow me. This series was about eternal life and receiving eternal life, that vitality in our soul from God. And we cannot receive eternal life unless we are restored to God. And we see in this story that everybody can be restored to God. Peter was restored to Jesus. Fifty days, well, actually less than that at this point in time, but a month later, Peter preached. 3,000 people got saved that day. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. What we bring to the table that God gave us, we utilize to feed His sheep. 
In John chapter 13, some of the last things that Jesus said, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man glorified, and and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. This whole section is about glorification, glorifying God. Glorifying God is simply making God visible, specifically making God beautiful, beautifully visible to those who can't see him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, wherever I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people, we will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Combine this story with those verses the love that they have for one another. Jesus is telling them, I'm restoring you. You restore each other to each other and you restore the world back to God. One person at a time. I've given you a catch. I've given you resources. I've given you gifts. I've given you a personality. I've given you, you, to bring to the table to make that happen. Now follow me and go make that happen. fitting that a, a story of restoration fell on this day. I mean, I, I'm simply preaching the sermon I would have preached if I'm preaching next week. And God's design, a, a sermon of restoration because God's kingdom can only be advanced through people who are restored one to another. But it's also fitting that at the end of the day, the last words are here and follow Jesus. That's our job description. That's it. And one more word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Uh, Restore us to yourself. If somebody has gone fishing, give them the heart to run to shore this morning. We thank you, we love you, to your name we pray. Amen.